Hello everyone, Robbie here and welcome to episode 10 of the Coach's Journey podcast with Marianne Craig. Um, so people who listen to uh, the episode with James Bianco will remember that he talked about Marianne and how important she was in his journey, but she's also been vitally important in the journeys of so many people um, over the, the 21 years or so that she's been coaching. Um, she's a master coach. She's the co-founder of the Firework Coaching Company, uh, which has a renowned and proven framework for helping people change career and is now a part of Career Shifters for those who have uh, who heard James and I mentioned that one that that company too um that all started in the midst of what Marianne calls a fulfillment crisis um but she was listening to BBC Woman's Hour in 1999 and amazingly even that far back she heard a coach speaking and by the end of the program she was doing something she says she's never done before which is calling the helpline because she got that feeling that many coaches do when they come across coaching she just knew it was what she wanted to do for a living since then, um, she's racked up thousands of hours of coaching, that includes founding Firework in 2003. Um, she became an ICF accredited master coach in 2005. Um, and, and in this episode tells a great story about why that became important to her and a part of her vision. She's formed many other collaborations, some of which like Myra's Coaching for Social Change and Mentor Coaches International, she isn't a part of anymore. And some like providing pro bono coaching to Extinction Rebellion activists, she is. Um, and there's some great, great conversation in this episode about why collaborations and bringing coaching coaches together has been so important to her. The work she does now with all with that 25 years or so of experience as a business owner, a coach and consultant, she works with people who are at a life or career crossroads. Um, and one of the things we talk about in this episode is why she's never got bored of working with people who are changing careers. Uh, we also get into how Something that happened to her as a working class little girl on a council estate near Glasgow first taught her about her sense of agency in the world and how that's been important. We get into how she created Firework, uh, the framework, and then the company, and, and then later why she sold it. Uh, we get into what, make, what she thinks makes a great website for a coach. And I should say she was one of the first people um, to have a coaching website. Uh, and we get into what she thinks about how to launch that too. Um, she also talks about how she tried basically every kind of marketing in existence for coaches and what she learned from that. And most importantly, what she recommends you uh, do so you don't have to experiment with everything. And then starting from uh, the bugbears that Marianne has, which are great, listen out for them, about the coaching industry from her 20 plus years experience. We get into a really interesting conversation about the morality and ethics of coaching, including asking or, you know, repeating John Whitmore, uh, his asking of the question, is the end near for the client's agenda? Now, in that part of the conversation, we get into some really interesting uh, ground. And, and Marianne is, has, is and has been throughout her life an activist. And, and part of the conversation we get into there is about activism as a coach. She asks questions like, where were all the coaches when the banks went down? Um, coaches boasting about association with brands, choosing work based on the ethics of the companies that, that, that might offer coaching work to people. Um, and what do coaches need to take a stand for and how? Now, I've been thinking about that a lot since the call. Um, it, it 
brought up loads of things for me, both on what I agree with, uh, what Marianne and I said at the time, and what I disagree with both uh, her and me in that moment. And another time, I hope that she and I can get into loads more detail, or some other people can, about about that those kind of questions. Um, we touch on it in this conversation. Of course, we don't plumb the depths of, of such a complex issue. And you can hear, I think, and I hope, that we're both playing at the edges of what we know, what we believe. Um, I certainly am. Uh, I got a little bit of a vulnerability hangover from that conversation. So there's a little, uh, unusually for these episodes, there's a tiny little postscript, which I'm going to record in a sec, which comes at the end of the episode, just with a couple of things that I wanted to catch about that. Um, But this is such a rich episode. That's only one part of it. We cover so much. Um, I make a little notes as I'm listening back on all the things that could form a part of the intro and the copy around this stuff and add so many things on this that haven't made it into that. We hit money, marketing. Marianne hints that she thinks, she, at the very least, she was one of the early people to coin the phrase career coaching. She didn't get it from anyone. Um, and there's, there's some great, as there often are in these um, interviews, some great really practical bits about the website, like I said, and her coaching pack and how she uses it at the end. So do stick with it for the full uh, hour and 50 or so. Um, And just to give a final sense of Marianne, just after we finished the conversation, she sent me a message saying, um, worrying that she might have sounded one-dimensional when I asked her what she was up to next. Uh, And when you hear the end of of this interview, you'll find how laughable that is. She just told us about three or four massive things that she's working on, including that coaching with Extinction Rebellion, which at the very least is very, very current um, as we're recording this. So look, um, enjoy uh, my conversation with Marianne. pass it on if there's someone you think it'll be valuable for remember that there's lo- some of the links and the m- names you mentioned are in the show notes otherwise just enjoy the coach's journey podcast episode 10 so marianne welcome to the coach's journey podcast hello robbie nice to be here yeah it's really nice so we were just saying a bit off air but part of the reason um we've been connected is through our mutual friend James Bianco who's a guest on another earlier episode and he in that episode and other times that um, I've spoken to him about his journey has mentioned you and you know also it's it's exciting to have you on because you know through the different bits of your work and there are lots of them and I hope we'll get into them across this conversation you've had a really massive impact on on lots and lots of people um, including other people I know who you probably don't even know whether that's through <laughs> firework or, or what yeah, you know yeah, any of those you. parts yeah. um yeah so thanks so much for joining me you're welcome I'm pleased to be here Robbie. and um the way I've been starting these these interviews most of them um and I know you've got a great answer to this because you shared it with me already um out of the call is where did you first come across the idea of coaching Yes, well, I was I was in my kitchen in Brighton and I was listening to Radio 4 and there was a woman's hour was on and they had some live coaching on there. And that was in 1999, bloody eons ago. And I'd never heard of coaching. It was an American coach, Laura Berman Fox Gang, and she coached live. And I just thought, bloody hell, I didn't know that was a I didn't know that was a thing. Sounds fantastic. And I rang the helpline to find out more. I've never done that before or since. (laughs) And, uh, you know, found out all about it as a profession and quite quickly signed up to a course. Do you remember what she was coaching people on? Um, 
you know what those conversations yeah, it were was about? Like, it was what they called life coaching at the time. So it, it was it was a kind of work life balance type conversation. Yeah, and that and you know that's kind of early, isn't it? Yeah, you know, very it, early. Th- there's various things like that that you can listen to now. Uh, you know, people having radio shows in different ways, whatever that means. You know, in the modern day, but yeah, wow. Coaching on Women's Hour in 1999 is, you know, right at the start, I guess, of coaching over here growing. Yes, absolutely. It was when people it was when people thought you meant you were a football coach at a party. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or or all kinds of other weird. That, yes. But I mean, that still happens. Any coach listening knows knows that you still end up in some weird conversation. So. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And so. What were you doing at the time? You quite quickly after that, signed up for a course, you said. Yes, so yes. so were, were you kind of listening out in life for yes, something I like was. that? Yes, I was. I was having a break. I'd been a consultant, a research consultant. So I had run my own business for quite a long time. But I had I had a kind of breakdown. And I, I you know, just it was a crisis of fulfillment, I, I see it as now, looking back. I didn't enjoy being a consultant. And somebody asked me if I was fulfilled and I burst into tears, I remember, and I gave it all up and took a while, you know, and I, 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 I sort of did volunteering as lots of people do in periods like that. And I, I did craft stuff. I was decorating furniture, sold my stuff. I just took a while to recover, but I was looking, I was certainly looking for something. I dabbled with hypnotherapy. So I was looking at working one-to-one with people that wasn't right for me, but then I found coaching and I've never looked back. Yeah. And what, what was it do you think that spoke to you in that call or, or as you did the training? Well, what, what I didn't like about hypnotherapy was that the, the, the client seemed to be very passive and I, you know, I sort of would do the hypnotherapy and then I'd, you know, I'd sort of try and encourage them to take responsibility and to, how, do some action. So I was kind of making something up. And I think that's what I like, the, the agency of the client, the partnership, but that you're not doing something to someone else. That's what I loved about it and got it really quickly when I heard that. And, and do you, like, it's one of those things, isn't it? Once you'd seen that, were there things in the in earlier in your career that kind of made sense as ah that's why I like that bit or that's why I was attracted to that or was it something new to see that agency piece as being very important? No, I think it was new to be honest. I mean, I'm someone with agency. I've done lots of things where I've taken you know just been decisive and you know gone for it. So I, but I notice that not everybody is like that. But sometimes they can be with a bit of support and encouragement. So, yeah, it was new. I mean, I'd done quite a bit of personal development. You know, I'd gone to those 90s workshops. (laughs) (laughs) I look back on them now, you know, change yourself in seven days, you know, and all that stuff. But I had done a bit of that, but that was just for me. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like the way I'm not sure if it's just because you're looking back now, but it doesn't sound like they caught your imagination in the same way that the coaching did? No, no. I mean, they they helped me develop as a person, have self-awareness, but I didn't want to be that person in the front of the room. So no. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you then, you were kind of in this, in this moment of, 
of looking that fulfillment crisis and found coaching and then you did some training and this is again early in the i guess in the uk's coaching scene that's pretty early right yes i mean the only course i could find at the time was coach you which was delivered by teleclass which teleconference calls um from the states which i allow i mean i just thought that's amazing that's yeah. fabulous you know 20 people they called it in a room on a bridge bridge line um p- people from all over the world i mean i just and that, that was two years it was a two-year course and you know i just i just loved it i you know i i was ready you know to learn all this new stuff and meet all these new people fabulous yeah and so then take take us through what happened next after that as you kind of yeah, learned so the they skills yeah then they encouraged you to find three new three sorry three people to practice on which i did friends of friends charged nothing then five pounds and ten pounds etc and did it uh, keep loved, going up in, in little little yeah, five? yeah kept going up yeah yes and each 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 increment was excruciating you know but as you get confident you know then, then you do it and and all the people wanted to carry on which was very very validating you know after after the first six sessions or whatever and do you remember how just, you found those first, those first yeah they people. were friends of friends Yes, and that was great. And uh, another important thing was Coach You put on uh, kind of workshops in London. So early on, I went to some of those and they were led by, um, my memory was executive coaches who were already quite successful. So even although it was like the year 2000, they were already established. And that also had a great influence on me. Um, I still remember two of them standing at the front of the room and saying, I'm a coach and I have a full practice. And I thought, I want to be that person who says that. So that became a goal. And I understood that a full practice means different things for different people. And I wanted to be a full-time coach with a full practice every day. So that was important. <laughs> it's really interesting. And let's catch that that thing. So a full practice means different things to different people. So for you, because I know that you, you know, you do work as a mentor coach, you've worked with many coaches over the years in different ways. What what have you learned or seen that's important about understanding that a different a full practice can mean different things to different people, if, if that question makes sense. Yeah, yes, it does. So an, an example would be a young mother or a mother, a mother with a young child. She only wants to work a few hours. So a full practice for her might be three clients, it might be two clients. And that, that's fine. And that is one of the wonderful things about our, our profession, that you can mold and create your business according to your needs at the time, according to your vision and, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, there's something, um, once you've made that choice, if you can kind of hold the energy of it, then it can be a real advantage. You know, I was talking to my friend, a friend of mine in that exact situation, a mum with several young children, and it was great to just help her flip that thing from, I can only see clients on Wednesdays to, I only have space for four clients because I only see clients on Wednesdays because of my commitment to being a mother as well as my commitment to this work. And suddenly she's, Whoa, that's kind of cool, isn't it? And you know, yeah. people get that feel from her. 
so I love the um, <laughs> I love the sense of the idea of you sitting in the room, hearing that thing about the full practice. Mm. You knew you wanted to be full time. What was it about being full time or um, and having that full practice that that spoke to you? Well, I've done a lot of different jobs in my life, and I felt very strongly that I had arrived somewhere and that this was a vocation. This is this is what I want to do with my life. And all my life so far has led to me doing this now. And I'm going to give it everything. So, And later on, the people standing at the front of those coaching workshops also said, I'm... I'm a coach. I'm a master coach. And that was another thing that I thought, I will do that. That's for me. Because it was about, I'm taking this seriously. I'm a professional. I want to go as far as I can in this profession and do it for real, whatever it takes. That was really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Do it for real. Yes. Yes. And so I wonder sometimes if that thing that you're talking about that kind of commitment to it to doing it for real to the long term of it is one of the things that one of the key things that sets apart people who do manage to create a successful coaching business from people who don't now i'm not sure about that but it feels like once you know you're in it for the long term, then the picture of how you might act, behave, deal with rejection, feel, at least to me, felt and looked quite different. Once I thought, well, am I in this for the long term? Actually, yes. And suddenly each no, for example, from a client, especially early on, doesn't hurt quite as much. It's like, okay, well, now I'm here for the long term. I wonder, yeah, what do you think? Do you think that that sense of being in it for real, of having that picture that you're going to get to being a master coach and and that picture of the future. What what impact did that have? Yeah. So for me, a big part of this is it's not just about the long term and building the business, although that is important. And we'll come back to that. It was also the professional side of it, you know, that I am willing to take the exams and submit my coaching to external evaluation, be assessed I felt that was important. I'm dealing with pe- I'm dealing with people's lives, and and I knew coaches back then who refused to do that and said it's no, it's nobody's business. And I I always thought that was there was an arrogance about that. There was an unprofessional. This is just my point of view, but I thought well no we are a profession. I wouldn't like my doctor to be saying that. <laughs> my dentist, you know, <laughs> no I just do it. So I, I felt very strongly early on about that, that I believed in the professionalism of it. In terms of the long term for a business, I I also early on thought, got it, that there's a strand which is learning the skills and practicing on people and getting clients and doing the business, doing the business. But there's another big piece, which is maybe 50%, which is a creative endeavor which is very different from coaching. That's another thing, which is building a business. And that means marketing and promotion and coming up with ideas. And I loved that. 
<laughs> and did you always love it, or were you, do you think you were like primed for it by the stuff you'd done before, I think or, I was primed, or did you discover for it? I discovered. I, yeah, Coach U was full of. Well, it wasn't all Americans. It was people, as I say, from all over the world. But a lot of them were Americans, and they were very can-do, very entrepreneurial. And I discovered my inner entrepreneur. Uh, I think if I'd done a course face to face in Brighton in 1999, I think I would have my journey would have been different. So I I just loved this entrepreneurial energy, this can do, and the idea that you could have an international practice at the time on the phone and web with a website that people would find. You know, I just got it. And I thought, this is amazing. I'm going to do this. You see, so there was the excitement of, of coming up with ideas, which I loved. Yeah. And, and yeah, I know this. I'm sure you do, having spoken to other coaches. Not everyone is lucky enough to feel that excitement about no, that very important 50%. Uh, do, you have, do you have any feeling for those people out there who just kind of dread that I, bit of their work? I, no, I, I do. And I have I have mentored a few coaches like that. It's very hard. You know, it can be that you're lucky because you have a very particular niche that's maybe related to your background and you've got a lot of contacts. And then you become that, you know, specialized coach. But certainly the coach who's got everything in place and is is highly educated to be a coach sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring or or an email to come in or whatever it's mostly not going to happen you do have to go out there in one way or another yeah and absolutely and you know i'd love to get into some of the ways that you know you might suggest or that you have done that i'm curious just before we do something oh I suspect you do because of the work you do, but there's something about that shift of seeing the business part as, you know, something that excites you where you can get creative and have these ideas and try these things out versus it being this thing that you kind of have to do and resent doing. How that shift of mindset, I'm quite interested in. I'm wondering if you've got any thoughts about how people can make that um, well, I think it's quite important to get a coach. And I know everybody says that, but that certainly is a, is a great thing early on. And how does that help specifically, do you think, with that shift? Well, they, they can share their experience, encourage you, maybe share contacts with you, websites, resources. So you're not alone with it. You know, you're not alone in your room or whatever. So that's important. Uh, meeting other coaches, you know, going to networking events with other coaches, all of that, conferences, I think that's important because it can feel quite solitary otherwise. Um, ask me the question again. What can people do to, to, to shift more into that space where the business side of it feels like it's creative, feels exciting? Yeah. Well, there is this uh, worksheet called Natural Marketing. And what it's saying is, Look, there's many ways you can market and promote a coaching business. Why not just choose the ones that you really like and you find easy? And I usually send that worksheet to, to coaches uh, that I'm working with. And, and it's asking you to choose three and then, you know, start with the easiest one. So if you hate cold calling, don't bother. But, you know, if you're a natural networker, you know, so it sounds obvious, but actually it's, it's sort of giving permission not to put energy into the stuff that you hate, you know, which is a coaching thing, you know, like, how can this be easy? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's, it's, there is something particular, maybe particularly in the internet age about getting trapped in comparison with what other people are doing. And the coaches, I think, suffer from this, just like probably most professions do in different ways. But it's a set, you know, that sense of, oh, if I am not writing a blog every week, I'm failing in building my coaching oh, business yeah. or whatever that yeah. thing is. Um, yeah, how interesting. So you did the coach you training and you felt this feeling of this picture building up of the full-time practice and the master coach which the, the spoiler is you achieved that as far as I know. In 2005. Uh, yes. That, yes. That, that was when you became years, accredited I, with a master yeah, yeah. coach. Yes. Yes. I did PCC first yeah. and then MC. And I, I, yeah, I did it in, in just a few years because I worked really hard at it and was very focused. Yeah. And it was, it was what you were, it was what you were pointed at, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And yeah, that does sound quick because I don't know if you had to then, but you have to get a lot of hours for MCC. 2,500 hours, yeah. Yeah, so you got to that place. So yeah. those first six years, you worked really hard. What were the key moments? Um, key moments, one was a few years in getting a VA, which is one of my tips, get a virtual assistant give away the stuff you don't like doing. I don't like invoicing. I don't like quite a lot of the admin, you know, and, you know, my VA charges £18 an hour um, and I charge more than that. So it's the logic is, you know, free up some hours where you could be earning more than that. And, and, and also she loves the attention to detail and does it very well. And I would make mistakes and have to have conversations with my client about the invoice that had the wrong thing. And, oh, God. So it takes it away. So that was a high point. I recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> and it also made me feel, again, very professional. You know, I'm a business owner um, with, you know, an admin assistant. Yeah. So do you, that still, was a high do you point. still work with AVA, yeah. that VA now? Yeah, no, I've had three different yeah. ones over the years. Yeah. But, and has yeah. that uh, continue? It sounds like that's continued to be yes. a very freeing and important part. Of yes, work. absolutely. Even although now I only work part time, I only have five, six, five or six clients a week now. I, I, um, I still have a VA. Yeah. And I guess there's something interesting about that. I have a friend who I often have conversations with, where we talk about whether it's time for us to get an assistant or a VA in some way, and she's played with it a bit, and I haven't yet. I guess. I'm curious from your, particularly with regards to coaching and how coaching business, what, what have you learned about what feels like the right thing? Because it's interesting that in some ways, every interaction with a client is a part of the work. And so it's interesting. That's one of the places that I always come up to. It's like, oh, I, I love the idea, but actually quite, you know, those interactions with the clients are really important. And that might be one of these, one of the lines where you make a decision about who does what? And I guess my question, which is just about in this uh, this thing that I'm saying, is um, what have you learned about, as a coach, what are the great things to delegate to a virtual assistant or someone like that? And what are the things which you try to pass on or you at some points passed on and in different times have, have found it's good for you to do? And it sounds like invoicing sounds like definitely. definitely. And, and receipts, you know, all that, the yeah. bookkeeping, yeah. But definitely. Um, early on, not early, sort of 
maybe halfway through. The VA that I had at the time, Julia, she, she suggested that she call herself her, my business manager. And she actually came up with ideas on making my business run more smoothly and, you know, making my, like my stationery more pro- professional. You know, she, she proofread my website again for me and I send out a coaching pack and then I had di- I have different coaching packs for different kinds of clients and she would sort of make them look better and send them and, and so on. So, yeah, and, and sometimes... Yeah, and I never want, I personally never wanted her to handle my diary. I know most people do, but I, I have quite a complicated life outside of my work, and I always have, and I just couldn't handle that. So she never, nobody's ever handled my diary. Yeah, it's interesting that that, that for, perhaps for similar reasons, perhaps for different reasons, that to me has always felt like an obvious thing that someone could do, but something that doesn't feel right for someone else to do for, for a bunch of reasons. No. No. And then uh, when I go on holiday, I mean, you can put an autoresponder on, you can, you can keep picking up your emails every day and not really have a holiday, or your, your assistant can take that over and even call people and stuff. So that was also really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that was one of the key moments in that. So, and it's interesting, you said you got five or six clients a week. Now, I'm guessing at the time, you probably had more to oh, get to goodness. those hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I regularly had 40 clients on my books. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and at the time, seeing them... Oh, well, weekly, very, or? very variable. Yeah. The model that I've mostly used was fortnightly. Occasionally, three times a month. And longer-term clients, I still have a lot of those once a month. And coaches are typically once a month. So, yeah. And that that variability, some of it sounds like it's just learned and evolved. I imagine that yes, might be the case. Yes, and I'm but... quite a flexible person. So I tend to just, you know, fit in with what people want. Yeah. I don't offer every week. I, I haven't found that. I've, once a week feels too fast because life has speeded up. And I know, you know, some coaches do work in that way and therapists do as well. But I found that was just too, too fast. Yeah. I don't encourage once a week. Interesting. And if someone comes to you and says they want that, what, what happens then? Yeah, well, well, we'll talk about it. And I mean, I am flexible. So I'll say, well, let's try it, you know. See. Yeah. But people often, they're very busy as well. That's what I find. And they quite like twice a month. <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and i guess just to give us you know getting into the detail now but it's because it's really interesting to give a flavor so some of it is just that a certain group or a longer term person it might be less often that might evolve into that but if you're sitting with someone and you're you're meeting them for the first time i don't know how that process works for you but how do you get to that point of understanding what way you're going to work with someone do you have certain ways that go do you work it as work it out i i offer a free coaching consultation so that's usually half an hour and that can be face to face or in brighton in my home office or it can be on the phone or skype whatever people prefer um and yeah we explore the client's coaching needs tell me a bit about themselves i tell them how i work so if it's my career coaching program fireworks then i'll describe that send them a more detailed outline um yeah and then we explore together how many sessions you know etc etc 
the way I work is the the sessions are the first sessions an hour and a half, and after that they're, they're an hour. And I say around about an hour because I like to finish what we're doing and I let them know that. And also included in my fee is I'm available in between sessions for short chats if they want them. People don't really use that very much. Occasionally they do, and that's fine. But they quite often, I think they quite like knowing that that's available. Yeah, no, I I have a similar experience. I offer that. Some 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 clients do use it, but but often they don't. <laughs> or often by the time you get to that short conversation, the the urgent need for the short conversation has dissipated in some way. Exactly. Um, and just while we're on it, is there is there a standard fee for that kind of for that package for that way that you work? Um, I charge one seven five for my coaching sessions. I have experimented with packages. And no, what tends to happen is some clients say, if I pay up front, is there a discount? And I will, I will, you know, discount a hundred pounds or something like that. So my firework program is 10 sessions. So, you know, 1750, and I would maybe discount a hundred pounds if they paid me up front. But I do it's important to say, because this is part of my values, I do do a sliding scale. So um if I'm working with a corporation, I'll, I'll charge more th- than that. And if I'm working with a student or someone with not very much money, we will negotiate a fee that they that can afford. So I, I set aside some slots for people who are on a budget. Yeah. And there's something interesting, isn't there? While we're kind of in this space of money about, about those, those moments where, you know, it sounds like there's someone you want to work with, you'd love to support, but they can't, afford the fee yeah and it's interesting that that negotiation is interesting and i guess i'm just curious what you've learned about how to have that conversation yes so that it is honoring the fact that the commitment the financial commitment is sometimes a really valuable part of the process for people it's honoring the fact that the money might mean a lot to that person even if it's a smaller amount and and all those things at once because it's it can be quite complex yes absolutely and if i feel if I'm not too chock-a-block and I really want to work, because if I am, then what I'm, I do, regardless of the money, is I sometimes refer people on. I have a bunch of coaches, you know, and I match them to someone else. So that can be part of it. But if I really do want to work with them and I can, I can accommodate them, then and it, it becomes clear that they, they haven't got a lot of money or whatever, then... I just usually say, I just, I just get really honest, you know, and I say, right, this is a difficult bit. <laughs> Let's just talk money. And sometimes they, na- I tell them what my actual fee is. And then, and then, you know, we talk about what we, I usually say, what would be affordable for you, but still a bit of a stretch. And quite often we come to about 75 pounds. Um, very occasionally it's been like 40, you know, where they're unemployed, for example, with a bit of savings or something. But I do want to say something. This is one of my bugbears. Lots are because I do do pro bono coaching. I do that in, pro, you know, part of projects. And I can explain a bit in a minute what I mean by that. And I have worked with human rights activists, for example, and I, it's completely pro bono, those people value the coaching. And a lot of people say in the coaching profession 
that people do not value coaching if they don't pay. Now, the, my challenge to coaches is, well, how come we don't apply that in the corporate world? Yeah, you know, that went through that went through my mind straight away. I just finished working with somebody today, done you know, quite a long engagement with someone. That man has never paid a cent for my coaching, but he's he's absolutely valued that time and we were both sad absolutely. to see Absolutely. But but also sometimes they don't and they don't show up and all of that stuff and they're furious that they've been referred for coaching. All kinds of things are going on. But I never hear that mentioned. I only hear the pro bono thing isn't valued. Yeah. So I think it depends on the person. Yeah. And I guess there's a question, you know, perhaps in my question about the fees and the conversation with people who can't, um, who can't necessarily afford what you normally charge is that question, which is how do you make sure when you're offering that, that they, that they, because one of the ways it doesn't always work. And I loved what you said about, you know, a stretch, but you know, you can afford it, but it's a stretch because if it's too much of a stretch, then that changes the dynamic of the conversations too. But there is some money can be the thing that helps people value the yes. The work no, that no, I doing. agree. I so agree. In the cases where it isn't, how do you, in your experience, how have you helped those people who aren't paying, whether it's they aren't paying the full amount or they're in one of the human rights activists who you're offering a pro bono to, how do you help them really value the work that you're doing with them? Try and do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just apply my coaching skills, be there for them, encourage their best self yeah. to show up, all, all the stuff of coaching, really. I mean, it doesn't always work out. And that's true in the whole of coaching. Yeah, that's true, If you even if you charge thousands of pounds. Absolutely. Because there's also the thing that someone paying thousands of pounds might be ultra rich and it actually doesn't mean, you know, and all of that. All of that. It's all relative. relative. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. How interesting. So I guess I'm curious just to... I mean, you've mentioned firework already, and that, that must have been happening in this early um, yes, period Yes, 2003, too. yeah. For people who d- don't know firework, can you maybe tell us a, just a brief intro and then a little bit about how that came about? Because I think it it sounds like it's an, it's been an important part of your story and the way you've built your business. but And also, like, uh, as I know and from other people, and, you know, it's very valuable and has spread out now in lots of different ways yes i'm very proud of it yeah you should be proud of it uh so firework is a career coaching program uh and it it helps clients go from clients in career at a career crossroads it helps them go from not knowing what they want to do next to having a clear action plan so and it's it's working with a coach to get there so there's a part of it is all about exploring yourself, increasing your self-awareness, and we have exercises for capturing that. And then there's a second part, which was all around an ideas bank. Um, and that's quite a creative and original part of the process. So what happened was I love collaborating, and that's been part of my journey. I've had three or four important collaborations. Uh, but early on, I found that a lot of people, I, very early on, I called myself a life coach. I don't, I don't anymore. But what do you call then, yourself now? A career and personal coach. Um, although I do do some executive coaching as well. But um, I, 
I found an awful lot of people coming to me saying they were at a career crossroads, um, and but they were looking for life coaching. And I didn't really find that my training equipped me to, to, to help them in a way that I felt happy with, you know? So, yeah, we're just going to have six sessions, see where we go, you know. Uh, I, anyway, I... I had a colleague, she was, she became a friend, Kate Edmonds, who had moved to Brighton. She'd been a client actually years before and she moved to Brighton and we became friends. And she was a coach and she was finding that too, but her training was CTI, Coach Training Institute. And so we, we, we thought, gosh, maybe we should see if we could create something. So uh, I've always um, worked Monday to Thursday on coaching and then Fridays were for building my business and for projects. So we devoted Fridays to researching the field and meeting up and creating this program. And we had a great time. She's very different from me. You know, we, we, we somehow complemented each other's skills and strengths. And we created the firework program and we trialed it with our own clients and tweaked it and so on. And then we thought, if we think there's a gap uh, maybe other coaches are finding that too. So we decided we set up the Firework Career Coach Company, coach, Firework Coaching Company, to train and license other coaches to use our program. So we then, so then I was, I had two businesses or one and a half business, and and that was very successful. But Kate then moved on. She didn't want to do it anymore, and she she just said like, you, you keep the business. I'm going to do these other things. And so I then had two businesses for a number of years, and I didn't really enjoy that. I don't particularly enjoy training. I certainly don't enjoy marketing a training program. As What I really want to be doing is coaching. And so I sold my business in 2013 to Career Shifters, and that's another collaboration I'm still in. I'm involved with Career Shifters a bit. And I have such huge respect for Career Shifters as a company with huge integrity. So I'm so happy that my precious firework is in good hands. Yeah, and I, I don't know actually. I don't think I'm even. I don't think I've, I've rarely told this story actually. But just yesterday, I was emailing this woman um, uh, called Amy, who I was temping with in early 2013 in a uh, in the in the head office of the UK's leading garden centre chain because that's life. That's what I was doing. And Amy pointed me at career shifters because she was temping. She was just coming back from her um, maternity leave, I think, or something like that, and was just starting this super cool um, like vintage dress company out of her garage, which is still going, I discovered. Wow. When, I, when I remembered her yesterday or the day before and Googled it, and, and she's down in Folkestone now. But um, she pointed me at career shifters. And so although I didn't have a coach through my... Um, through that career transition, which led me in the end here, there were a couple of articles from career shifters, which made a big impact. And I later discovered now, now that you've said 2013, I'm just joining some dots. One of them, I'm pretty sure was inspired by some of the fireworks stuff, uh -huh. um, which, is, yeah. which is a nice little bit of, bit of symmetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, career shifters do great work. And I've been, yes. I've been Richard, love, love to Richard hear about that and people over the years. He's brilliant. He's a, yeah. he's a social entrepreneur. Absolutely. Does lots of work in India. Yeah, just amazing guy. And so I guess while we're talking about that, so so the, it was good to sell the business because it, it, actually you found that it wasn't the 
easy bit it wasn't the bit was that you loved yeah. I, you know my i didn't have the work-life balance so i i had already um delegated the training many years before to sue and michelle who still do it are fabulous trainers but it was the marketing and just the responsibility and all of that stuff and i thought I'm just you know so i was very relieved to go back to just doing what i want to do and so did you have you left that baby behind or there's still some collaboration going there or yeah, yes yes so some collaboration absolutely yes yes and career shifters you know they they run group they do groups that's what's different and they have their own model and uh yeah i mean i've attended some of those and they're very high energy which is lovely and they do a lot i mean J- james james who you interviewed used to run the ones online and so on so yeah, yeah organization. and so i guess it's interesting just to slow down and on firework because that's quite a whistle stop through it. You know, I'm curious, what do you feel? Maybe it was in that ideas bank piece, but it's obviously successful or it wouldn't have run for so long. It wouldn't have been so busy that you didn't want to do it anymore. It wouldn't have been worth career shifters continuing and, and all those kind of things. What was so important about that work what made it something that people really valued and and used and continue to use well what the program itself the, the yeah, content I of the program. So, yeah. I, I, because there's a lot of coaching in it so that's one thing the second thing is it's different from going to see a careers advisor because that's just focuses on work and it's a quick quick fix this is an in-depth in process. It takes a long time because this is big stuff. And secondly, it's whole life. It's not just looking at your career. It's who are you and, you know, what else is going on in your life? But the most important thing for me is it's about meaning and purpose. And, you know, I over the years, I've worked with a lot of disaffected lawyers, for example, who want to change career. But they're almost whispering down the phone because they 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 don't have that conversation anywhere in their circles you know like they've they're successful they make shed loads of money and they're really unhappy but you don't talk about that (laughs) so talking about big stuff meaning and purpose and who are you what do you want in your heart of hearts from your life i love having those conversations and i think a lot of coaches do and but the other thing about firework is and a lot of coaches have given this feedback is it's a structure and quite often clients are quite relieved to know there's a structure it can also be used different so some this is a Myers-Briggs thing you know it depends on your personality so some people like me I'm a J I like a structure and I find that clients like to be taken through a structure and know where they are but coaches can also use it to just dip in and pull out bits of it and combine the bits with other bits of other trainings they've done or made up or what they've created. So you can use it as a toolbox or you can use it as a structured process. Yeah, I think it's a great, great observation. You know, that I think, yeah, some coaches, I think you're right. Like my experience was similar to what you described that led to firework, which is sometimes with people who are at that career crossroads, they're just the kind of, very basic coaching structure is is just a little it sometimes feels insufficient now i don't know if that's me or if that's them but it sounds like it's everyone and it's interesting that yeah for coaches i think um to to have a sense that yeah look here is a tried tested process that will take someone closer 
at the very least to that meaning and purpose which they're searching for. Yes, and give them a plan. So the, the coach isn't saying, I'll find you a job, I'll guarantee you anything, you know, but I will get you to a point where you have a plan. We don't know what that plan's going to be. <laughs> and it might even be that you stay in your job, but you make the rest of your life more interesting. Who knows? We don't know. But you ask the client to be open. Yeah. And you said some of, or some of the impetus to create that came from who you were working with. Yes. So, and I imagine that who you're working with is people you can have those kinds of conversations with because I can feel the power of and the passion of that uh, yes, from you. Yes, absolutely. But how did that evolve, you know, maybe particularly in those first few years and then as time has gone on since, who did you find yourself working with and how did that change and how did you affect that and is it has it turned out how you imagined? So it's it's mainly, it's professionals really. I mean, like I say, I, I have gone into companies and done executive coaching I don't find that rewarding why um, not do you think I don't care enough <laughs> about business you know th- this is the thing that I love you know the individual path to mean a meaningful life that's what I love doing and I, can, I can't really get excited you know about, <laughs> about especially corporations you know bottom line or whatever somebody's career progression through a big company or and and bureaucracy you know can be public sector as well you know the bureau bureaucracy thing i just find the energy quite low and i so it's just not my thing i i even although the money is you know much much better and so on but that doesn't that isn't what drives me so the energy is more what drives Yes, you. yes, yes. So people uh, come to me through referrals or through my website, and that's the main thing. My website is the thing that's always worked really well for me. And I think it's partly because I got a website very early on in the process, and I think I was one of the first career coaches. I, th- I felt I just made up that term. I don't know if it's true. But anyway, so I was number one on Google for a really, really long time worldwide because that's something else to say. In the old days, Google didn't know where you were. So when somebody put in career coach, then they found me and they could be in Rio de Janeiro. And that was just wonderful. So now it's mainly people looking for a career coach in Brighton who contact me through my website. Yeah. But, and lots of many, many people who I'm sure are referred to you from. All yeah. Yeah. Referrals. Yes. Yes. Referrals. And so, but in those early days, as this was evolving, as you were experimenting, presumably, and you were clocking up the hours with the mm. 40 clients at once or, or whatever that was. How did you learn that this was the work that gave you the energy what was yeah what happened how did that evolve well i i i dabbled with different niches um and i i i remember thinking there was a point when i thought i don't think you need a niche uh and i thought that for a long time and then i but then i I, now i think because there's so many coaches it's it sort of makes sense to have a bit of a niche but only having one niche is quite boring 
So, so, you know, I do still have this niche, which is career transition coaching, but I have variety through having some longer term business owners and then some coaches who I supervise or do mentor coaching, accreditation, business building, whatever with. So I have a nice mix. Yeah, because I was going to say, it's, it, you know, there's a it's partly a jokey question because of what you just said about niches getting boring, but it's been 17 years since firework right yes so it's like and longer that you've been coaching so how come you haven't got bored of that yeah yeah i haven't got bored because of people yeah i mean you know i i live with with um with Greg, my partner who isn't that interested in people you know i mean he he writes and he invents stuff and he does loves cooking and you know and he doesn't get it you know, whereas I am and you are, I just know without asking you, we're eternally fascinated and love people. And they're eternally different. So every day is different. Yeah. And well, I imagine that the way you're talking about those conversations, about being about the big conversations about purpose and meaning, like yeah, there's something endless. When, when you get on the edge of someone's ability to make meaning of the world oh, or yeah, right into the middle of the purpose yeah. there's something incredibly useful about that and and a, and a really great coaching session give is so rewarding for the coach as well as for the client uh i i had quite a bad accident a couple of years ago and i didn't work for about six months <laughs> excuse me and uh i so missed it i so missed it and i just feel i never want to retire i you know because it keeps, you know, it keeps you feeling engaged in the world and learning from people and so many reasons. Yeah, and what an absolute privilege to have work yes, that feels absolutely. like that, right? And we're modeling that, you know, we're modeling that for people who say, am I being unrealistic thinking I can find a job or work that's fulfilling? And well, we can say, well, you know, I have, so why not you? Yeah. And there's something that reminds me for some reason of you talking about having agency and giving people that agency. And I think that sometimes that's the way that we give people agency is by showing them that something is actually possible. And then suddenly it becomes, well, okay, if it's possible, then there must be something I can do here. And that, that becomes a, a different way of seeing the world, I guess. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> feels like there's a bunch of ways we could we can move on the conversation from here mm -hmm. i guess because you do that work with coaches as well and that's partly why this podcast exists to support those people yeah what feels like the maybe it's like i don't know you've got the, you do the mental coaching maybe it's just time to, to just move into that bit of your work now and just talk a little bit about that and how that evolved, so how you started to support other coaches and what makes that important to you? I think quite early on, I mean, I'm slightly embarrassed now when I think I don't think coaching for a few years and I'm starting to help other coaches. But anyway, yeah, tell me about it, tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just felt quite evangelical about this profession and, you know, and and um, building a business and I felt I had something something to offer, you know. So I I... Like, my, like I say, my website was successful quite early on. So I did, I it, it, now there would be webinars, but back then I, I did teleclasses like Coach You did for coaches on creating a good website and what makes a, a website 
website work well and, and other ways of marketing your business. So I did that. But the other thing was really early on, my phone used to ring all the time with people saying, I've just looked at your website and I'd like to know how to become a coach. And I just got a lot of those calls. So I, and I would, I would spend half an hour telling them um, the different routes. And so I put everything I knew into an ebook. And another thing that I, I kind of thought about early on was about multiple Ill income streams. And so I thought, oh, well, I could sell this ebook and I could do mentor coaching and that would be another and Why was that stream. in your mind early on? Why was multiple I think because, because of Coach You. I think mm-hmm. like, a, like hearing Americans talking about different ways of thinking about uh, a salary or an income that you don't just need to think about it in one way. The Americans call it making money while you sleep, you know, passive income streams as well as act, you know, and I was quite taken by that. I didn't really go down that road in the end. I mean, there was, I mean, what fireworks was another income stream. So actually it was, um, but anyway, so I, I did, I did create an, e- an ebook, which I, I used to update every year, but I, it was quite a lot of work updating the links and everything. So I stopped in 2013. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, that, that was fun. I enjoyed that. You know, I, I enjoyed researching and writing. That was fun. Um, and I, I enjoyed helping cli- uh, coach clients build their business. And then later on, I became a mentor coach with ICF. So helping people go for ACC, PCC and MCC. And I still do a bit of that. Um, and then I became a supervisor with the Academy of uh, Supervision, Academy of Coaching Supervision, and um, and I do a bit of supervision now too. So it just kind of evolved into these these various yeah. these various ways yeah. of doing it. I'm following what what I love, and it's that thing I was saying earlier. What a privilege to create a business and change a business and all of that stuff according to how you're feeling. Yeah. It's really absolutely. nice. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, and so, so you've got the longer term clients now. You've got the, these people who are still around that sense of purpose and meaning and career and some coaches. Yes. Um, I guess I'm curious about, there's still also this kind of, whether there is, you know, what, what is there in between firework and now, there are other, what, what other things have you experimented with and tried and, and all those kind of things? Yes. Well, so a few coaches and myself, we came together and we called ourselves Mentor Coaches International. And we, we thought that there was a gap for mentoring coaches worldwide, not just in the UK. And we used to meet regularly and we spoke at various events and so on. But it, it fell apart. That didn't really take off. But the, the phrase mentor coach, you know, I know partly I think that's just that's the language that coach you use. But is there you must like that as a particular you think that that carries something as a phrase for you, right? What, what does it carry? It, it, it's helping. It's it's uh, it help. It's helping coaches build their business but it's also supporting them with coaching like confidence and that stuff but as coach to coach um but yes in coach in icf terms it's helping people with going for accreditation they need 10 hours of that mental coaching and yeah then maybe there's some supervision in it i.e where they bring client issues to the call 
Yeah. So that was one of the things that you experimented with, bringing those yeah, that, that, that to yeah, life. That, yeah. Then this career, yeah. Um, what else? Um, other collaborations. Hmm. Oh, another thing that was really important to me early on was going to a um, an ICF international conference. And that was just mind-blowing for me because Kochi was very American and all the material was American and I found the approach a bit too American, to be honest. I think they've modified it since, but I, you know, <laughs> it's like you'd be in the room with 20 of us and the teleclass leader would say, how are you today? And everybody would say, awesome. And, the, you know, the British person would feel like saying, mustn't grumble. Okay. <laughs> and just that extreme used to drive me mad. You know, everything was awesome. So I found sometimes it was too American, a bit, a little bit too new agey as well. So when I went to this conference in Switzerland, which was in Grindelwald in the Alps, and there were French and German and, you know, everyone from Europe, and there was simultaneous translation as well. And I do speak French and some German. And and they had a different, slightly different way of approaching. You know, the French had pa theoretical papers and, you know, quoting Jung and, and, and you know, you can imagine. And, and I just lapped it up and had a ball. And I, I loved that. So I do occasionally go to conferences and sort of enjoy that, that hearing different presenters and, you know, just meeting different people. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, you talked about collaborations, but also these, you know, the sense of isolation and these kind of the, the, the ICF conference being a good example. It's like, it feels like finding ways to have your business not be just you all the time has been important in, oh, your, yes, in your work. What, what do you think that's given you? Um, well, something bigger than me. But, but also it is one of my values. Cooperation, collaboration is an important value for me. So I, I enjoy that. There's also learning. You just learn from others. Um, and it's stimulating. It's, you know, you, it, you go on to, I go on to then have other ideas and so on. Um, and one of the things I've done recently in Brighton is I've brought together some coaches that I know. And a couple of them are even clients who went through firework and decided that they want to become a coach. Uh, anyway, so there's about eight of us in Brighton and we meet every three months for dinner. And that's a lovely, lovely community. And we, you know, we help each other and just have fun, actually, just talk all night about coaching. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all doing very different things. And, uh, yeah. So that's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, I guess while you were speaking then, you know, it's it's great to hear about all these different successes. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that last piece is part of the answer. I guess I'm also curious over, so wait, you did the, you st when did you start training? In 99? 1999. So 99. Mm -hmm. So over 21 years of, of being in this business in different ways, there must have been some really difficult times. Uh, well, that's my assumption. It may not be true, but it, but it, I guess I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, sometimes in August, you know, in the early years when I didn't understand that the year has a has a natural ebb and flow, 
and I thought it was just me, you know. So August would be really, really quiet, or January would be really, really quiet. And I think, oh my God, you know, or maybe two clients in a row didn't, you know, didn't sign off, or you know. So that stuff, I've I've come to understand much more about that. Not don't take it personally. Yeah. Do you think it is just like uh, understanding that those things are part of the part of the business and developing the that understanding on a deeper level? Yes, I think that's really important, and and I th- I think it's really important not to be. You have to work on this early on, not being desperate. It's not a good vibe, and you know. So, <laughs> and how do you so suggest we, people do that? Well, not just not not somebody, a coach, you teleclass leader said this once, and I've I've never forgotten it. He said lots of people who go into coaching don't like selling. So it's like that doesn't go with our personality and it doesn't feel authentic. So don't think of that call, that first conversation with a prospective client. Don't think of it as selling. Think of it as giving information. You love coaching. You believe genuinely in the power of coaching. So all you have to do is communicate that passion that you have and belief in the power of coaching. And don't be attached to the outcome. So I've always found that really helpful. I don't try and, uh, well, there's a phrase in there in marketing and closing the sale. I I don't do any of that. I just think, because I don't like it when people do that to me. So I give them the information and I'm enthusiastic and all that stuff. And and then I let them go. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And... Cycling back to that kind of, it was me who brought it in, wasn't it? But the idea of the long game, you know, trying to close someone is not a long game tactic because that person, if they don't like being closed, will never come back, right? But but just giving someone and then letting go, that's a different thing altogether. And who knows when that person, you know, that whatever you've shared with them, the enthusiasm, the language lands and they, they come back to you or someone else. And Yeah. And the other thing I've learned is, if somebody like a client maybe disappears or somebody you're sure they're going to sign up and they don't remember, it might not be about you. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's good. To, it's good, isn't it? To hold that. It's probably not about you. It's, uh, it's, like, it's almost it's certainly not things, about you. A million things could be happening in their life right now. You know, their house might have fallen down. <laughs> it's absolutely know. true. It's absolutely well. It's not true, but it's a. It's absolutely that's a great thing to absolutely a great yeah, thing to assume and try and hold on to. And it's, you know, I'm pulling lots of threads at this at the moment um, from different parts of the conversation. I guess there's a question. It sounds like from the start, you know, you got to the top of Google, perhaps it was just by good timing, and but also by the skill that you showed or how you managed to make that work. I guess that means you've always been reasonably visible in your work. Yes. An interesting question that someone was, you know, when I first did some, some crowdsourcing of questions for, for this interview, one of the things someone was asking is, you know, because it's, poss- it's perfectly possible to run a coaching business without being visible to the outside world, almost, in, at least in an online sense, almost. Oh, tall. yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. And I guess there's something interesting that I'd love to just hear your thoughts on is how and why has it been 
right for you to be visible in different ways and when not and yeah what your thoughts are on that well like i say really early on i wanted clients in other countries so the way to do that for me then was to you know now there's blogging and twitter but then there was only a website and uh so that there was that was a no-brainer really um so so it's like it's like what do you want and then and then look for the place yeah and also when I was all over the place about who I was trying to reach, I did go to, because that's another thing I did. I, I didn't do the natural marketing thing. I did every kind of marketing I could find, maybe except cold calling. I think I might even have done that. Um, you know, and I found in the end that the thing that I loved was was my was making my website better and making links and, uh, you know, writing articles for other websites who then paid me with a link to my website, you know, making sure my website was not just found by Google searches, but other ways. Um, but I did, you know, I did networking and, and giving talks, joined Toastmasters, you know, wrote articles. Uh, back in the day, it wasn't blogging, it was newsletters. You know, I had a newsletter, you know, building up an email database. Or I, I did them all. Uh, and hated most of them to be honest. <laughs> and so I guess I guess we've already ticked, you know, and so now the advice you give to people about marketing, it sounds like, is well, just look, here's all the ones, choose the ones that feel easiest. Yeah. And then and then play with them and see where you but get notice to. Notice what's working as well. Put more energy into that. Yeah. What like you've talked a little bit about the the Google uh what do you call it? SEO, search engine optimization, advantages of being early to coaching yeah were there other things that feel looking back like they were real advantages to being relative to being at the start of of coaching growing in the uk or or near the start of that and also what were the disadvantages about being there at that at that point Uh, well the advantages were there was less competition i mean clearly um and also I think I became known at a point as being a career coach. Um, so, it, like, especially in Brighton, you know, and and so people would recommend me locally. There wasn't a lot of competition, do you see? So I, I worked for a lot of people in Brighton, and then and then referrals. So the more you, you know that that's how it works. Disadvantages in being. Yeah, I mean, it was harder to, um, like I say, I felt sometimes not highly respected, I suppose, like what's a life coach, you know, is that a bit, you know, people, yeah, didn't really value that. It wasn't a real job. It wasn't a real profession or something. You know, are you just making that up? So there was a little bit of that. I remember once I was at a, a party and a friend, a friend, I have a house in France that I share with seven people. And uh, I, I remember speaking to a French woman and she asked me what I did and I explained it. And she said, but who are you? Who are you? Have you, have you, do you have a career in, in careers advice? You know, are you an expert in this area? And I said, no. And I found it, quite hard to explain who am I you know and then I explained that I'd created a process and again she said but who are you what qualifications do you have to create a program (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I can kind of imagine that that was yeah. quite an unpleasant moment or a, a difficult moment. It's very French. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, but, uh, and there's an understandable, there's something understandable about that question for people who have, who have not been on the inside of a coaching process, who don't understand what the difference that it can make. So, I mean, in some ways, the answer for you now may not be that um, that interesting because you can now you have got a career in in this. But but how do you describe or how would you advise someone else? How would you advise you of let's say whenever that was ten years ago, yeah, fifteen years ago to answer that question? Well, I think I think what came to me when she was saying that was, but this is about entrepreneurialism this is about creating businesses where there isn't something already there creating something out of nothing and the thrill of doing that and I'm sorry France but you need to be doing more of that (laughs) you know so that is you know the American energy is is about doing that and I was glad to get a bit of that you know like we can do this why not and if no one ever did anything that they weren't fully qualified to do we'd all still be living in on the exactly. planes, right take a risk yeah it's about risk yeah if it doesn't work do something else it's fine <laughs> and if and so for then for 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 coaches who get when faced with that question now if someone said but wait you know wh- who are you to do this how do you talk about coaching to give it that the gravity and the the, I don't know what you'd say, credibility that it deserves. How do you do that now? Well, I, I talk about it being an estab- more of an established profession now. I mean, it dep- obviously, it depends who I'm talking to. Yeah. But um, I don't find that question is around now. I think people, nearly everybody has met someone who has a coach. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Or, you know, they get been it. through, you know, one of the things I've noticed, I think even in the last five years, four and a half years that I've been coaching, slight, even more people now have, have been, let's say at work, they've had some either coaching skills training or they've been exactly. through a leadership program where they're like, oh uh, yeah, that's yeah, that yes, thing to do with right. that thing, right? Yes. Yes. So it's, it's much, much more around and respected, I find. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess... There's a few things that I want to catch, but but maybe we're in this place now. You talked earlier on about the importance of um, to you of taking the profession seriously, of yeah. becoming a master coach and doing the things you need to do to do that. And in a way, the perhaps the professionalization of the coaching industry is why fewer you you have to have that conversation that you had with the French lady less often now. Oh yeah. But what what is it that what is it that makes you, and it sounds like still, because that's still some of the work you do, so passionate, I guess, if that's the right word, it might not be, about the professionalization of the industry, about the accreditation, about, mm. what, like, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I'm, like I said, I think I think we're dealing with people's lives. Uh, that's why we have insurance, why there are professional associations and training companies and all of that thing. It's profession. So that's important. One of the things I've noticed um, for me personally, that one of the benefits of, of being an MCC, being a master coach, is I've noticed that lawyers and doctors, if they're looking for a coach, they go to the ICF and there are other 
there are other associations I, I, I just happen to have gone through ICF. Um, they go there and they choose a master they, because that's how they work in their professions. They want someone who's, you know, got the top accreditation, whatever. Do you see? And so I'm not, I quite like that. You know, I, it gives me some self-respect. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that that, thing's re- that particular point is really interesting. Like I had this insight a, a last a couple of years ago, I was doing some work with a colleague who is covered in credentials. And it, it just made me realize, and I am just someone who's you know, unlike the, the uh, archetypal lawyer, I'm just not bothered by that, right? What I want to do is have this amazing connection with someone. And yeah. so that's kind of how I run my business. Yeah. It just made me realize though, talking to my friend, Nicole, it's like, ah, but everyone's not like me, which is the stupidest thing in the world to realize. It's like, ah, but of course, if I just credential up a little bit more, that'll just give permission to those people who, for whom it does matter. Yes, yes. And we are all different and it's fine, you know, whatever, whatever works. But I certainly did find that getting the accreditations did a lot for my, my confidence. Um, but that's me. But, but I also think, especially when people are starting out, knowing that you have this stamp is a way of answering either the literal person at the party who asks the question like your, your, your um, French friend or the, the inside voice that says, who are you to be doing this? What are you even doing? Does it even work? And it's like, well, look, here I've got this thing which says I'm accredited by the International Coaching Federation, which is the leading body of, you know, dot, 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 dot. I think that absolutely can make a real difference to people. And it's something to remember at the very least in those moments where you're thinking, you know, like, what am I even doing? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I guess I wanted to catch another another thing. That I've got a little list here of things that you've said that sound fascinating that um, I had, didn't ask you about as we were in the flow. One of them is you mentioned in passing Monday to Thursday for coaching, Friday for business development. And projects. And mm. projects. Has that been a long time? How did that pattern come about? Is it still oh, that how came you work? About because it- because uh, someone in Coach U said they did it. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, I like that model. And do you still do it now? Uh, no, no, because I work very part-time now. I just work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and I'm part-time on those days. <laughs> nice. And is, and what's how has that evolved to the current practice now? Was it just time to do less work? or what? Yes, yes. I just... I just paid off my mortgage and just wanted wanted to do so many other things so i yeah create a space yeah just create a space absolutely and um yeah i don't do any marketing or anything like that i haven't done for quite a long time just however many clients i have as long as it's under you know under about six a week is fine but if it's only two i'm very happy as well so it's a nice place to be yeah. And so what was the advantage of that? I mean, I can kind of feel the advantages of it, but of that break from the advice from the, the coach on coach you between coaching and business development and projects. Oh, oh, well, it's, it's, um, there's another phrase that I really liked, which is wearing certain hats. Um, so it's like on a Friday, you take off that hat and you put on this hat, which so you're giving yourself permission to do research or, you know, go out and meet people or work on your website, you know, whereas on the other days you're this person, you know, you're, you're in coach mode. And I remember hearing that uh, as a very good advice, like, 
you know, some coaches, when they start out, they don't give up the day job, you know, so they're part time doing something else, which is a good model when you're starting out. You have to pay the training school and all of that, as we know. And the advice was, which I absolutely love, is, you know, on the days that you are coaching, put on a coaching hat. And even if you only have one client that day, you are a coach. So you're reading coaching books, you're talking about coaching to people, you know, you're you're on the internet reading coaching webs, whatever it is, but you are a coach that day and make that boundary. And I think that's very, very good advice when you're starting out because it can be really difficult to keep switching, especially like if you're a self-employed something, you know, working from home and, you know, you're doing a bit of coaching there and a bit, you know. So I think that that being boundaried is very good advice. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's probably, yeah, that's probably true. Whenever you're creating something, you talk about creating something from nothing, right? If you're creating something from nothing, creating the time when this is the time when you're creating, even if you're not the whole time doing the coaching, make it, make it coaching time. I think that's probably great advice. And yeah, I like the idea that later on, you actually did have someone who was your business manager. That might be the hat that you you could put on for your Friday, right? Is have the business manager hat. But actually, you you also said I'm not even going to do this. That's, no, it's <laughs> great. It's great. And so, I want to and let's catch as well. I want to catch as well. You mentioned one of your bugbears earlier on. You've seen a lot about the coaching industry over many years. You've seen it evolve. You've seen the good sides of it and the bad sides of it. Um, what else? What else do you kind of look at the coaching industry? the coaching world about and and not feel completely comfortable with i i there's a phrase where were all the coaches when the banks went down and i i i remember feeling very uncomfortable you know during the financial crash about all that you know there was coaching in those banks people charging eye-watering sums of money for their coaching and thinking they were worth thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds an hour. But at the same time, we were talking about the greedy bankers. You know, so I felt there wasn't a conversation about value. And so there's there's that. But nowadays, I, I don't think about that so much. But what I feel uncomfortable about is when people, and I've seen this at conferences, speakers do this, boasting about their association with a global brand. And it's like a status thing. You know, I'm the head coach at X. And I, I, I implore people to ask more questions. And, you know, a lot of those companies are not paying their fair share of tax. And so, you know, not to just go blindly into big corporations and, you know, be really pleased to get the big fee and do the work, but to be also to be asking about the ethics of this company. Are they a force for good in the world? Are they polluting the planet? You know, are they raping poor countries? And so on and so on. So, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's just about values. I think it's important to be reflective about who you're working with and why and what. Yeah. And do you think like, I guess, you know, I'm sure I I can have ideas about this, but if we think that the financial crisis is just such a good example of this, all these people, you know, 
in those companies doing coaching, what's the what's the action in the moment? You know, I, I, or it, yeah, like what's the individual action that was really missing from the coaches in those companies? I think ask yeah, asking challenging questions, asking challenging questions. John Whitmore you know, the author of Performance Coaching, who died a number of years ago. But I remember going to a conference, I think it was around 2013, and he said that he believed the end had come for um, this core coaching idea, which is it's always the client's agenda. And he was very provocative, very, very provocative. And there was a uh, the room didn't like what he said, but he said, we need to stop that now and you need to take a stand in these companies and bring up challenges about what companies are doing in the world. And I, I'm, I don't know if I agree with, you know, so, so my position more is maybe don't go, maybe don't work in those companies. Because but just it, to it catch is, that though, that, that position, because that position is also difficult as you think about it. Cause it's like, if all the, if all the people who care about right and wrong don't go and work in a certain company, cause it doesn't do right and wrong, then we get stuck. Don't we? So it's very right. interesting. Uh, no, no, there are. It's just, that's my position. I prefer working with individuals and not, not going into the companies. But but it, but I went to an association for coaching meeting recently, and it was meant to be forty people, and there was one hundred and fifty people there, and it was all about this stuff, mainly around the climate the climate emergency. But you know, what are we as coaches doing about the climate emergency? And you know, people were talking about being in companies where they felt very uncomfortable because they knew the carbon footprint of this company was huge, and you know, and so it was it was lovely. It was lovely to be in a room where we were talking about this stuff. And that's something that I feel very strongly about is being an active citizen. I think it behoves all of us at this time in the world. The world is in trouble on so many levels. And not to put that in a box and then do your job. It's it's to be an active citizen and do your bit, whatever that means. And maybe that's also as a coach. To be asking questions. It feels to me like um, something. Uh, let me just speak to this and see if it sounds mm-hmm. see if it sounds sensible. I'm not sure I've quite expressed it like this before. I wonder if what John Whitmore was saying. Let me get this. I wonder if there's kind of levels of coaching. Of course, there is, and there is a. It is possible that if you are coaching at just the action level. And just st- like kind of a surface level uh, conversations of coaching, uh, then then just staying at the client's agenda actually may get risky because you may be coaching someone into fraud, into yes. uh, into like I mean yeah, any of the things you said and more, right? And I wonder if 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 the coaching itself is taking the client to a deeper place. Mm-hmm. Here's here's an interesting thought that I, I have had, and I'm not sure I'm holding it completely today. That actually, deep in the core, people are good, and if you're guiding people towards that deep inner goodness, then it doesn't matter where you're doing that. It's it's for the, it's for the greater good, right? If you whether whether you're doing it with I don't know Al Capone or whoever it might yes, be that you were yes, doing it with, yes. actually, if you're taking people into that sense of yeah. of meaning, that 
that automatically is going to be bringing them, is, is going to be doing the moral part of this work. But that's having an agenda, Robbie. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? it, it I think this, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It, it's a tricky. I did, you know, yeah. I did some developmental psychology training last year, and there was this really interesting moment when I asked one of the trainers. It's like, like I can see that that um, helping people ha- move to a, a, a deeper stage of development is going to be really good for them, right? They're going to see greater perspective. They're going to be able to achieve more in the world. They're going to re- be able to respond better to complexity. But is it my job to say to them? That, that I think that's for the best. And this is a very, this is, I mean, this is the place we're speaking to, right? It's a very tricky thing. Like, w- w- what is good? And is it a coach's job to define good for somebody else? And when is it a coach's job to even play a part in that? Yeah, so th- I think these are important questions for all of us at this time. And and what came up on this course, well, uh, on, on this uh, workshop was, important questions for coach training schools also to be thinking about. Have you personally had times where you've met with a potential client or worked for a little while with a potential client and found that thing happening? Oh, no, you haven't been necessarily into the companies, but you found yourself realizing that there's been a kind of uh, ethical clash, for want of a better phrase? Um. I mean, recently I was coaching a guy who has his own business and he's run ragged, really, and he's not sure he wants to carry on doing it, but he doesn't know what to, else to do. And, you know, he he works for high street shops and as a freelancer, and he's paid incredibly well and he goes all over the world. And... Something I said at some point, and I don't, I, but he told me this, so I don't know what the words were, but it was something like, I'm curious that you're working so hard when it's only, it's only stuff or it's only clothes or it's only fashion. I can't remember. He had never thought about that. He saw his work as creative. He's a creative he knows he's in retail, but sort of puts that out there. And he knows he, he makes a lot of money. And this was a huge thing that happened to him. So there, there was a clash in that sense that we were both seeing the world differently. But anyway, so he, yeah, that, that, so then the conversations after that were just wonderful. Yeah. It's just so and, interesting. And in a way, that sounds like kind of perfect coaching because what's happened is he gets a more complete picture and a more true picture of the world from that insight, which, you know, another person who, for whom that wasn't significant, wouldn't have heard or remembered whatever phrase you said, right? He gets a more complete picture and you get to move forward from there. But so it sounds like it hasn't really happened that you've, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm struggling. I don't want to be too prejudicial about different organizations, but you haven't come across, you haven't found yourself working with someone and just gone, do you know, if you do this work, I can't work with you anymore. No, that no, because I just don't. I don't go in. I did early on, and I didn't like it, so I just. Stayed away. Yeah, yeah, and mostly. Is this I mean, I have. To be fair, I mean, I have. I've had some senior executives who want because that's the other thing that happens is some people choose to have an external coach, you know, and I've struggled a little bit with their values, but I always try to be there for the client you know so they're paying me not the company and you know 
And they're a human, right? No, absolutely, and have lovely things about them. And, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you were speaking then, you know, it just came to me, there's something interesting, isn't there, about what happens to us when we're in organisations and how, you know... It's like uh, I've heard someone tell the Enron story, you know, almost no one in Enron set out to have a massive integrity gap. That's there was just right. something about the culture. These uh, you know, people who are listening can't see I'm doing this finger very close to thumb <laughs> gesture. It's like everyone just allows their integrity to slip by mm. half a centimetre. Group thing. Before you know it, the whole thing is built on, built on fraud. And it's interesting... You know, <laughs> I did a, I've done a contract over the last couple of years with six managers from one company, all of whom have been going through a difficult time with that company, right? And I've regularly thought, have I got the only six good people in this company? Because oh, all of them are having difficult yeah. times with their managers. And yeah. of course, yeah, that can't be true. And presume, I mean, it could be that they, they just happen to have six terrible managers. But also, it could be that those managers are also struggling. And there's just this, and their coaches are also wondering, have I got the only six good people? And, you know, it's very interesting. What uh, Absolutely. What and that's the point. I, there are really good people doing the best they can in those companies. Of course there yeah. are. But what an interesting thing. Where, where were the coaches? And yeah, where are they now? And for those people who really care about, um, who are really passionate about the environment, I, there's a movement just starting now that I've discovered. One of the other podcast guests was talking about, about particularly focusing coaching on people who want to be more empowered around the environment so how do we provide that as a oh, yeah. service to empower the, the climate crisis yeah coaching yes and there's going to be a day in 5th of march or something Co- coaching at work is organizing it yeah yes it's interesting yeah well, on that i i i'm not involved in that but i am involved in a project setting up coaching for activists in extinction rebellion so that's my passion at the moment is supporting those people yeah and how, uh, how interesting yeah and again we could we could get into that movement and all the intricacies <laughs> of it and and absolutely yeah yeah uh, very yeah. interesting but is there anything else that feels like it's uh it's it's important for us to catch in this well, yeah one thing i wanted to share was there was a, a moment a few years into my coaching journey when i basically you know i said to you that i was going to coach you uh workshops and most of the people there were very corporate at that time yes and the people at the front of the room the people and i i felt i needed to be like them that that's what being a coach meant you know wearing a suit as you did back then if it was if you were going to corporate and speaking that language and I was a little bit embarrassed because I didn't have that background because most of the coaches that I was meeting came from business yeah um read the daily mail and the telegraph you know different politics for me and and I felt like an outsider and in the first few years I was I felt I needed to be more like them and I can still remember the day I was coaching someone in my room and I realized I just needed to be me and that that was okay that was enough and I remember my heart singing Mm. and I can you know so the me who's sitting here talking to you today this is this is me but and I have been like that ever since but those first couple of years 
I was embarrassed about having been an activist when I was young and all kinds of things I, I kept hidden away. And when I set, oh, there was another co collaboration that we haven't talked about was Myra's coaching for um, social change, where I brought together a number of coaches to coach activists for, for free, uh, pro bono. And I love that work. And the woman that I did it with, Alma Neville, she died, sadly. So it doesn't exist anymore. But for a while, we did that. And I remember coaches saying to me, why are you doing that? You won't make any money. I think the coaching profession has changed. And yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say that. Really it's now, if you, now, if you are the telegraph reader in the room of coaches, you are. Uh, you're the yeah, one absolutely. who feels embarrassed to say what they, what they, who they are, right? Whereas, so there's, there a change, is a, right? we want to do good in the world. There's a change of ethos. But in the beginning, it was different. It was about making money and helping companies make money. That was the main thing and helping people, you know, progress with their fantastic alpha career. That, that, that felt, and again, I was American, so to be fair, there were things happening in the UK parallel to this that I wasn't part of, but this world that I was in was all like that. And I, in my naivety early on, felt I need to be like this too. Yeah, and it sounds like the, yeah, the insight was I can be me, and that opens things up completely. And authenticity now is a big part of what we talk about. Of course it is, and that's lovely. But, but you know, but I think a thread of a thread of all these conversations on this podcast, but including this one, is, um, you know, that's also how to create your business, right? Be you and find, find the three things on the, on the marketing worksheet that, that are the ones that are most you and do them. Yes. And don't, don't, don't faff around doing what other people do. And, and come across on your website as you. Find a way of using your words and speaking your truth. Yeah, Robert Holden, I don't know if you've come across him, but I went to a workshop of his uh, last year sometime and he did a, he's a funny man. He did a great little bit about that, the importance of that, right, on coaches' websites. So have a picture of you, not a picture of like a cliff or whatever. Oh, I know. And we want to see you. That's what they're going to buy. They're not going to buy the, the, the how how good the picture of the cliff is. Right? A client once said to me, I, I liked I, that I could see your eyes. You know, there's just something about connecting because you are selling you, your service. That is, it's your shop window. People need to connect with you and think, I think I'd like to work with her. I'm going to check her out. You know, there's something about connecting through your photo and your words. Yeah, that's another tip I would give. Absolutely. Are there, are there any, like, I'm, I've just realised we might have moved on without catching all the bugbears, Marianne, and that bugbear about that bugbear about the banks was so good. I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, no, that, that is, that's all my bugbears. Yeah, done. <laughs> That's not too bad. There's, there's only those kind of two or three after, after 20 yeah, no, years. No, really, then. really. What a lovely industry it. we're working yeah. in. Yeah. I think one thing I wanted to share was um, my, you know, I was talking about agency and that is, I, I know now from all these years of meeting so many people, working with people and doing personal development, that it is a hallmark of me as this agency. And and when I was little, I, I grew up on a council estate, a poor family outside Glasgow. And I remember very clearly thinking, there's more to life than this. There's a big world out there. How can I how can I find out and be out in the world? And I worked out that 
the way for me, a working class girl from Scotland, was to become an air stewardess, as we called it back then. And I went to the library and I got a book out called How to Become an Air Stewardess. And I copied it all out. And I devoted my life from the age of eight to 21 to getting all the qualifications, including languages. And I worked in New York for Pan Am for a couple of years. And and I'm very proud of that we girl, but I, I also realize that having that focus and working towards it got me where I needed to get to. In I wasn't a victim, you know, I didn't think poor me, I can't, you know, I did it. And so I I do encourage people, clients, you know, to find that agency and focus to go for what it is. Once they've they're clear about what it is, that you can do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, with that story in mind, such a great story, right? Um, it's no surprise to me then that you, you then, then once you'd done that, like you could do anything, right? Then, then it's not a big deal to start a, to, to create a career <laughs> framework because you've got no. the embodied experience yeah, of yeah, setting yeah. out on a 13 year journey to success, which being based in New York, flying around the country slash world. Yeah. Do you have a sense of, of where I'm just wondering you know, it's going to be guesswork because of its memory and things. But why do you think eight-year-old you had the had that thought that I can I can set out and work at this and do it? I like a lot of kids. I read a lot, you know, and I'd, I, you know, there's all these lives in these books. You know, I had a great fantasy life, you know, and I just thought, I don't, I don't want to live a small life. I want to have a big life and. So, so it's partly personality and it's partly my mother was very, uh, with three girls, our mother was very loving and encouraging and having that, you know, that basis. My dad was a bit of a bastard, but he, that, that was okay because my mum was, was, was great. Um, yeah, that's all. The, having a loving family where you, you have that anchor, you know you can go forth, I think, when you're a kid. It is important, yeah. But I mean, the I, I did it for two years, and then I thought, bloody hell, this is boring. <laughs> I need to use my brain. So then I went to university, <laughs> and of course, that's what happens. We have dreams, and we do them. And then, what's lovely about about being alive nowadays is we can do many things. There's no more jobs for life, and that's difficult in some ways. But it's also, you know. With technology and everything, we can have many, many careers. And we're so fortunate to, to have this. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those things that the, the, the it's not quite true, but it's almost true that, you know, 50 years ago, at least 60 years ago, 100 years ago, there really were things we couldn't do. Now, most of the dreams that most people have, given that most people, at least in the West, have got access to a phone and the internet, you know, actually, they can start businesses. They can yes. be a. They can have their own TV show. You know, whatever those childhood dreams yes. are, are essentially yes. within reach. Yeah. Well, not not to absolutely everybody. There's still a lot of terrible poverty, but yes. Yeah. No. Of course. So of course. Of especially lot, worldwide. A hell of a lot of people. Do Do you have a sense? This is an interesting thing to bring up, though. Do you have a sense of what what you would want to do to help other people have that same 
and maybe it's just the work you have been doing right mm. in some ways it's nice yeah. that in some ways it's a beautiful part of the story that you started from that place yeah. of, yeah, so of I, n- I, name the yeah. dream find <laughs> yeah. the dream okay it's not quite right name a new dream right and that's in yeah. some ways the work yeah. you've been doing but yeah what's your sense for how we gift that agency or encourage that agency more broadly well, I think groups like like career shifters, you know, being in a room with 30 people, that energy is one way. Working with a coach is another. Of course, I would say that, wouldn't I? But, uh, you know, a coach that you have good chemistry with who's on your side and championing you. Yeah, there's nothing like it. Absolutely. Yeah. And in some ways, that feels like a nice place to start tying up the conversation. Is there anything... Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to, to bring um, into this call? No, there might. There's just a few tips, I think. Oh, yeah, please. Share. Yeah. So I think get a great website and then think about launching it. So. And wait, just let's catch up for you. What, what is, I mean, we've mentioned a couple, like being able to see your eyes. What makes a great website for a coach? Well, being authentic, you know, being clear. Um, not too complicated, but get, but not. I, I encourage people to get a good graphic designer to to make it attractive. Okay, you can start out with beginner ones, you know, free ones, but in time to get one that's that's attractive, clean, easy to navigate, and keep updating it. Nowadays, if I was setting out, I would have it. I would have a blog on there too. Um, so launch it. Have a concept of launching it, and by that I mean, you know look at your database send an email to everyone on that database and tell them about your website your coaching business and maybe make an offer it's interesting that's quite often a hard step for people i know it is that telling people Uh, about coaching is it's like but without that you can't it can't no it's a free a free way and maybe ask them to you know i'm going to send you another email in a minute and that one's just an anonymous one you know hi there and ask them to forward it to 10 people that they know so that's one thing i encourage people to do um another one is when you're starting out is to think in terms of setting having the table set so that's being really clear about your pricing really clear about invoicing if you're going to have a coaching pack have that all ready so everything is ready and if nowadays you don't tend to get a phone call but if you were to get a phone call or an email you can answer the questions how much does it cost how does it work how long does it last and and so on so having the table set is a good Way yeah and, and just a couple of things one for me it's it's like it's almost like it doesn't matter exactly how the table is set as long as it's set yes right? as long you're as ready. You're, you've got an idea that you're going to start with and say to the first person yes of, of how it works because it, it might change over time what, what's in your coaching pack um well my first and, and how do you use it actually because that's something that some people won't be familiar with my first coach sent me her coaching pack and she said you are free to adapt and use it with your clients. And I was so touched by that. And I, I continue that to that day. So it, it was adapted. Like it's very different now, but it's got some questions on it, like what inspires you? You know, so it's, it, it's some coaching questions to enable the person. It's got the wheel of life on it. So it's ask, asking them to write a short life story, highlighting the highs and lows of their life, things like that. But then the, if they're a career 
client, then there's some career questions too. So it's, and what I say to them is, this is going to give me loads of background before we even start, but it's also going to start you on the path. You know, you're, you're, we've already started coaching even before the first session. You started on the reflecting path. Uh, and do you th- what, what, what impact does that? So uh, people usually say they enjoy, they enjoy doing it. Um, oh, 10 things I like about myself is another one I ask them nice. to do. Uh, they, 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 they say they like, they, they've enjoyed, usually they say that. And by the way, if they're a really, really busy person and they don't fill it out, it's not a problem. It is not a requirement at all. So that's not what it's about. We can start work together, you know, right away if you've not filled in a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I might only have one more because we've ca- covered a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, if you uh, networking, so going to networking meetings, I don't particularly like those. And early on, I, I did them because I hadn't worked out that women in business, I thought women in business might be my target market and they weren't, but I still did. Anyway, and what, what worked well was saying to the organizers, I can run some events for you. And so I did that and I facilitated kind of like personal development evenings and got people coaching in pairs and stuff. And I, you don't, you never talk about coaching. That's boring. Only we are interested in coaching. You talk about clients you've worked with and successes. And I got three clients from doing that. Yeah. So I think. What what do you think gave you the. Is it that same part of you that set out to be the air hostess? Like, what gave you the confidence to make that suggestion to people and then to do it? Presumably, there was a first one, and, and well, the first one it was terrible. <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> I could do better than this. So there was a there was a vacuum that I stepped into, but it, it occurs to me that that that's not a a bad model. Actually, I think yeah. there's many more of these now, and I think. Why yeah, not? and again, the platforms are there for people yes. to to take part and and to run things. Although it can be a scary thing to do. Um, Brian, what are you working on now, and what's coming up for you in the future? Right. Um. Yeah. So I'm like I mentioned Extinction Rebellion coaching. So I'm helping. I'm doing the interviewing of the coaches as well as um thinking about the supervision and and. I've started coaching some people, which is really interesting. And then I, there's a, a community hall in my neighborhood in, in Brighton that we've bought, uh, came up for sale and the residents in the air came together and we raised the money to buy it. And that's like an arts venue now. And I, I organize events there. I'm on the management committee and that's really fun. You know, it's yeah. a Victorian it, hall. It needs to you know this in a past fun. life. I was the manager of a <laughs> yes. community run uh, arts venue in Yorkshire. I was so an events organizer. Yeah. So you know that. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Coming up up with ideas for events is such fun. So I do that. Uh, Caroline Lucas, I support Caroline Lucas, who's our Green MP here in Brighton. So they're the main things. But my daughter has just given birth, so I'm congratulations. I'm a new to to you. Yeah, so I'm going to be helping out there once a week. Yeah, so we're. Yeah, well, Marianne, sounds like you've got loads going on. Is there something, just as a last question, is there something that about you that ties together or what is there that ties together things like Extinction Rebellion coaching, working with Caroline Lucas, the Village Hall, 
at, with the coaching and all the work you've done what is yeah. that about you that, it's about that making a difference I, I you know I I think I'm just wired and I I know this some of us in the world are just wired <laughs> to want to make a difference and you know coaching you're making a difference to one person at a time and that's great and I also have to make a difference out there too and I just I get up in the morning and that's how I I operate and I love working with people who are are similarly wired that I think that's what connects it all and and working for Pan Am was a funny useful blurb lip but it was part of the journey you know and by the way I absolutely hated that company <laughs> it's good I as remember, a coach I think to have had some remember, bad work experiences so that you I can remember, tell clients about them I remember age 21 you know be in the training school watching a corporate video you know which was like most corporate videos you know blue sky music blah, blah, blah. and I remember thinking this is brainwashing how bloody patronising that they they don't think we can see through this. <laughs> yeah, given everything you told me, it it it, it was probably never going to work out for you. Uh, try, with Pan Am trying to brainwash you into the, uh, no, being, being the no, no question everything. That's what I'm going to have on my gravestone. <laughs> question everything. Oh, what a great and what a great coach! What a great coaching uh, yeah. uh, intention to have as well. Question everything. Uh, that probably that would have been where the coaches should have been uh, in the crisis, right? It should have been questioning it. Yes, absolutely, Robbie. Marianne, it's been such a pleasure. Um, thanks so yeah, much for being it. so open for letting us go all over the place in your work. <laughs> we and life. did, didn't we? <laughs> uh, I, I know that anyone who listens will, is going to get loads out of this, and I think lots of people will be. I actually think lots of people will be particularly, for many people, captured by this. The kind of final piece, the final third of this conversation, maybe as we've been getting into the moral side of these things and how do we use this work for the good of the world and, and that connection for you between for, of making a difference. Yeah. So thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Bye. Until next time. Bye. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Robbie here again for an unusual postscript, which, as I said at the start, originates a little bit in my own vulnerability hangover uh, from the conversation, which I think in some part, in some parts, was the most exciting conversation as part of this uh, podcast so far, as we get onto right on the edge of, of our, certainly of my understanding of what's true in the world and play with some really, you know, interesting issues around morality, around ethics. And because we live in this strangely charged political time and because of what I believe, I just wanted to catch a couple of things that, that came up for me after we recorded this and, and I sat with for a little while and then when I was editing and listening back came up again. And basically it's this, between us, I think I tried to catch this in the conversation but didn't, didn't quite manage it. And, and basically I think that between us, Mar- Marianne and I give the impression <laughs> on a simplest level that if you read the Daily Tra- Telegraph or the Daily Mail then you aren't interested in doing good in the world. And it's just re- it feels in this day and age you know, in the political situation in the world. So for, for people who aren't from the UK, the Daily Telegraph is a, uh, you know, is a kind of right of centre broadsheet newspaper. Um, and the Daily Mail is something slightly different, but, 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 but sits in that kind of political space too. Um, 
it just feels really important to, to catch that. There was also a kind of suggestion that we gave that coaching was, you know, used to only be about making money, which was Marianne's experience. And there's the kind of suggestion that it can't be about making money and doing good. And, and actually for coaches, I think that's a really worrying story to hold because it's one of the things that holds coaches back from making money from and therefore doing good through their business. Now, obviously, in these conversations, you can hear, like I said at the start, both Marianne and I questioning, you know, bringing curiosity to the conversation. And I'm definitely still finding the balance between what is interviewing, when am I coaching, how am I doing my thing in these, in these calls. But it just occurred to me that the story that Marianne tells as part of that conversation is about worrying that she wouldn't fit in. And that was playing out a little bit for me in that moment, partly perhaps, because Although I don't really read newspapers because, you know, we're in the 21st century. In some ways, the Daily Telegraph is the British newspaper that fits my values at least as well as any other. Um, And I felt weird that I hadn't shared that. It's no secret that I, uh, you know, my political views aren't a secret. I write about them in different ways at different times. I think you could kind of draw that. And in one of the books I'm writing, there's a lot about that. And that's, again, one of the reasons I wanted to speak about it here. You know, for instance, you can go on my website and read about how much I love Greg's and why Greg's is an amazing example of how the free market can make us richer through um, innovation and competition. The key thing that I want to share that it feels really important to me is that coaching is a creating a powerful coaching business is about being yourself. And I don't believe um that the fact that I read the Daily Telegraph means I'm only interested in making money and doing good. And I firmly believe, actually, that it isn't possible to tell whether someone is a good person or not based on what their political beliefs are or what company they work in. Um, And in my tribe, it's just really important to say, people of all beliefs are welcome. And I would just really hate it if someone listened to this episode and even had the slightest feeling that I thought anything other than that. Um... And it doesn't feel true in the modern day that it is true everywhere that people of all political beliefs are welcome in every tribe. And and that's really why it felt so important to me to say it. So this kind of conversation is right at the edge of of some of the important things that are happening in the world right now. And that's why I felt like it was important that I shared this. Obviously, I haven't um, spoken to Marianne in detail about this or at all that about making this, saying this thing at the end. And she may feel differently having listened back and all that kind of thing. Um, but and I'd love to continue this kind of conversation with anyone who wants to do that. Other than that, though, I hope you took some amazing things away from that amazing conversation uh, that Marianne and I had and all the depth of her wisdom and experience, and I hope that you enjoyed the show and look forward to speaking again in the next episode in a few weeks. Mm-hmm.